morning, everybody. <laughs> it is good to see you here. Um, before I begin the message, let's take just a moment and let's pray for our world and for peace in our world, uh, and especially about the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of peace. And I know it must break your heart to see your children at war. And I pray, Father, for your peace to reign. I think about the conflicts between Ukraine and Russia and that war that has gone on and on and killed so many innocent people. Let there be peace there. And I think about, Father, the conflict right now between Israel and Hamas. You told us that there would be wars and rumors of wars. But only you know when you will start the clock on the end of history. So in uncertain times, help us look to you. Will you please remind all the combatants about the value of human life? And we pray especially for brothers and sisters in Christ some of whom have Arab ethnicity and some who have Jewish ethnicity, but all of whom are one in Christ, that they would be able to share the good news of Jesus and that people would see that Jesus is the more excellent way even in this conflict. Father, please bring peace. Bless us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today we begin a new message series entitled, I Believe. And the reason we're doing this series is because you probably have heard people say this before. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a very popular thought and notion in our uh, culture right now. And there is something appealing about that statement because it, it seems to say that you can have uh, a lot of tolerance and acceptance for different viewpoints. And, and so we, we all think that being tolerant and accepting is a good thing, but that statement in itself, does it really hold up? Is it really true that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something? Well, imagine you're a pilot and your instruments go out and you can no longer tell which way is up and which way is down. Does what you believe really matter? Absolutely, because there have been documented cases of private pilots, military pilots, and commercial pilots whose instruments have failed and they lose their orientation and suddenly they begin to believe that down is up and up is down and they start guiding their aircraft according to those beliefs and they crash. What you believe actually does matter. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some key Christian beliefs that Jesus followers hold. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this is gonna be a great time for you to hear what we're talking about and why these things are important to us. You may not agree with all of them, but I, I hope that you will be here for every one of these messages because they do provide a foundation of why things matter to us. And we're gonna start with a big one. I believe in God. And apparently, I'm not alone in America. According to the Gallup organization, 81% of all Americans believe in God. 
But one of the questions should fo- that should follow that statement is, well, which God do they believe in? When George Buttrick was the chaplain at Harvard, he would regularly have students come by his office, stick their head in the door and say, Dr. Buttrick, I just want to announce to you that I no longer believe in God. You know, that's 18 year old arrogance. And Dr. Buttrick wisely would say, well, why don't you come in, sit down and tell me about the God you don't believe in. I probably don't believe in that God either. What God is it that you don't believe in? Now, there's some reasons that people don't believe in God. Uh, First reason people don't believe in God is because they don't want to be held accountable. And we just need to be honest about that. People don't want to be held accountable. We also can call this the college fall off. Uh, Last weekend, Gene and I did go to the USC Florida game. I'm not going to say anything about the game. But on the way to the game, we parked about a mile away from the stadium, and there was a, a golf cart shuttle that was going back and forth. There was a couple already on the six-seat golf cart, and they said, hey, you want to ride with us? I'm like, sure, you know, because they've got a driver and everything, so we hop on the shuttle, and I pay the guy, and and we get to talking, you know, kind of a friendly conversation. They had, they had already uh, pre-gamed. Do you, you know what it means to pre-game? Okay, if you don't know what it means to pregame, don't find out. Okay, so they had pregamed and they were feeling no pain and we got to the stadium, had a, had a kind of a nice ride, nice conversation. Well, after the game, because it was the kind of game you couldn't leave until the game was over. After the game, we come out of the stadium and we run into this same couple, same couple. And let's say they had enjoyed the game immensely. Uh, they were kind of even in, in uh, 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 um, I would say, worse shape or better shape, depending on your viewpoint, than they were before. All right. They said, hey, you guys want to ride with us? We've called the golf cart back. Sure. So we get on the golf cart, get stuck in traffic. And so we're just sitting there, and we start to talk, and naturally conversation goes toward, well, where are you from originally? I said, well, you know, that's why I pulled for Florida. I'm originally from Florida. And the guy says, well, what part of Florida are you from? I said, a little town you've never heard of called Wachula. He said, well, I lived in Florida for five years. He said, I went to a little Christian college down here called Palm Beach Atlantic in West Palm Beach. I said, I know that college. A friend of mine was president of that college. And he, he said, who was it? And I told him the name. It turned out he hadn't even been born yet. And then he said this, and this was the most fascinating part of the whole conversation. He said, he said, you know, when I, I, I went down there to college, I, man, I was a completely different person than I am now. He said, I was still a virgin. It's like, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> he said, I didn't smoke. And he took another drag on a cigarette. And he said, I didn't drink. And he pulled out his bottle and drank another thing, another swig of beer. And he said, and then in South Florida, I found out about all three of those things and more. And I said, don't tell me about more. Now, now, I tell you that story because whatever that guy's faith was when he went to college, 
was not his faith when he came out. And it sure wasn't the faith he was living then, or in this moment. And I'm not trying to pass judgment on him at all, but I think something happened to him where he just didn't want to be accountable to God. And if you think about it, this is where a lot of people live. Uh, It's the same temptation that the Satan put before Eve in the Garden of Eden when he said, you know, isn't God being unfair? Look at everything he won't let you do. And sometimes I think people feel like, you know, God won't let me have any fun. So I'm not going to believe in him. I don't want to be accountable to him. All right, here's the second reason that people don't believe in God. They don't believe in God because they've been hurt. They've been hurt. So you have parents who have a child with cancer. And they pray for God to heal their child and their child dies. And in their grief and in the process of trying to go forward with that, they they stop believing because they hurt so bad. And it's not just around around things like health. I've talked with enough parents and this has been their experience that they have tried to do everything right by their child. They they raise their children in church and they send their kids to to Christian schools and, and then, you know, their kid turns about 18 and the kid says, mom, dad, I need to talk to you. And they come out of the closet. Now let me put a parenthesis in here. And if that's you and that's your experience, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to still love your child. And you remember that your heavenly father loves your child more than you do. And one of the worst things you can do is try to, try to tell them all the reasons they're wrong. God has a better way of doing that. So, approach people with love. Now, close parentheses, I, I remember talking to a couple and said, you know, after that, we just, we just decided maybe there wasn't even a God up there because we had prayed so hard and God didn't answer our prayers. And I understand this. You feel like God lets you down. Not every prayer we pray is answered the way we want. But I I do need to gently ask this. Does your disappointment with God mean that God does not exist? Now here's a variation, and I think this is fairly common, and it's actually pretty common even among Christians or people who identify as Christians. And these are people who believe in God, but they fail to connect to God. Or maybe to put it another way, these are people who believe in God, but it doesn't show up in behavior. In other words, they are living as if there is no God. Yes, 81% of Americans believe in God, but if 81% of Americans believe in God, shouldn't that translate into 81% of Americans actually worshiping the God they believe in? And yet today in America, only about 17% of the population will be in any kind of worship setting. That's a big gap. And so sometimes people will say, Yeah, I believe in God, but let me tell you, I don't believe in a God who would allow, for example, innocent people to die. 
And I get that. I totally get that. But listen, listen to what they're really saying. They're saying, I have authority over who God gets to be. I have authority, moral authority over God. Now, now follow my line of thinking. God gets to be who God wants to be, not who we want him to be. And so if I assume a position of moral superiority over God and say, I'm going to judge God and God's actions, I am them saying I am better than God. That's the logical outcome. And, and does that really ring true? Are you really better than God? So no surprise to you, I mean, I am a pastor after all, I believe in God. Now, I not only believe in God, I believe in the God revealed in Scripture through Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you two key verses that I think really explain the God that I believe in and I think Christians are called to believe in. And you probably have heard these verses before. They're in John chapter 14. Two verses, verses six and seven. You may have heard them at a funeral, but Jesus did not speak these words so that we could be comforted when someone dies. He spoke these words so we could be challenged about how to live. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you know my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So I want to break these verses down. Jesus starts out by saying, I am. Now, every Jew who heard Jesus say this would instantly have connected it to the Old Testament story when Moses asked God, who are you? God in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 says, I am who I am. God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh, which you translate as, I am who I am. What does God mean when he says that? God is saying, I am not who you, you wish me to be. I am who I am. And I am actually the, the beginning of everything. Paul Tillich, the theologian, said, God is the ground of all being." To, to condense that into pop theology, have you ever seen the bumper sticker that says, who lit the fuse at the Big Bang? God. Whatever is or whatever has been and whatever will be finds its origin in our Heavenly Father. Now, when Jesus says, I am, he is identifying himself as the same God who created the world. And because we heard this, have heard this before, most of us, it doesn't shock us, but in Jesus' time, it would have been a shock. When you say, I am, everybody then would say, oh, you're claiming to be God? Prove it. Now, just imagine with me that I said this morning, I am God. What would you do? I know, you would call a mental health professional. But if I could persuade you long enough that maybe, maybe you'd consider it, you might even say, prove it. Well, Jesus did prove it. 
He proved it through the miracles and mighty works he did. But he proved it through the ultimate miracle when he defied death and was resurrected after three days. That's the ultimate power of Jesus. Now Jesus goes on and he says, I am the way. Now you can also translate the word way as road. When I pastored in rural Kentucky, this is before the days of GPS and your phone telling you where to go. I would have to stop, usually at the country store, and ask for directions when I needed to go visit somebody. And the directions always went something like this. We'll go down this road about two miles and go to where the old Tucker place was. You know, it burned down a few years ago. I said, I don't know where that is. Well, you'll find it. Now, you turn right on that road, you go to where the gravel ends, and then you go a little bit further... And then you'll get to the creek. Now there's two stones, two rocks set up there, and that's the ford of the creek. Now one of them may have washed away. It's been a while since I've been down there. But you look for where that rock used to be and where that rock is, and then you cross the creek, then skirt that cornfield, a little bit about 300 acres. You skirt around it all about halfway, and you'll come up to this place, and you'll see kind of a little path winding up through the woods. You stop the truck there, walk up. House is about half a mile up back that way. Thank you. You know what was even better is when they would say, you're not going to be able to find it, preacher. I tell you what, I'll take you. <sighs> My old teacher, Bill Hull, said this. Being a Christian is not about following the right directions. It's about following the right person. And Jesus' basic invitation over and over again is follow me. That's why our church talks so much about next steps. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. You follow me, I will lead you to the good life, to eternal life, to the way you were supposed to live. Now, Jesus goes on, he makes another audacious claim. He said, I'm the truth. Truth is not a proposition, according to Jesus. Truth is is a person. Now this is one of the things that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions. You will hear people say things like, all world religions are the same. No, they're not. Every world religion makes a claim about truth. For example, in Islam, to be righteous, you must follow the five pillars of Islam. There's something you have to do. That's their doctrine. Even in Hinduism, which claims to be very tolerant, they claim that life is about cause and effect. You've heard it referred to as karma. And so if you do something bad, eventually something bad is going to happen to you. And if you do something good, something good is going to happen to you. That's their claim of exclusive truth. Christianity is different. It says truth is Jesus. Now listen carefully to me. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is the system of belief that we have. But Jesus is more important than doctrine. And if your doctrine cannot connect with Jesus and his way of living, 
then you have the wrong doctrine. Whatever is true in this world starts with Jesus. And whatever is false in this world is disconnected from Jesus. Now, Jesus is going to finish this up. I am the way, the truth, and you know this part, the life. What does he mean by that one little word, life? He means, as he often does, two things in one word. The first is he is the origin of all things. John and earlier in his gospel says this, in chapter one, verses one through three, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. When God created the world, Jesus was the agent of creation. Now here's the second meaning. Because Jesus is the agent of creation, he actually understands the best way to live. He will tell us how to operate life. Several years ago, I was visiting with a cousin of mine, and he had an old Massey Ferguson tractor he had rebuilt. And he said, Clay, could you jump on that tractor and move it? Sure. And if you've ever driven a Massey Ferguson tractor, an old Massey Ferguson tractor, it had a knob on it that said, pull to stop. It was a red knob. You pulled it out, the tractor stopped, choked it down. Well, that knob was all the way pulled out. So to crank the tractor, you push it in. I pushed it in, started the tractor. Hmm, that's not working. Tried it again. Don't you like these professional sound effects? Hollered at my cousin, said, this thing won't crank. He said, pull out the red knob. I said, it says pull to stop. He said, yeah, but when I rebuilt the tractor, I switched it. Thank you for that information. So I pulled it out, cranked right up. He built the tractor. He knew how it worked. Jesus is the author of life, so he is the one who can show you the best life to live. Now, here's the sad reality. Many people, including Christians, don't believe that Jesus actually knows the best way to live. You know that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. Do you believe that? Do you actually live it? There's a disconnect. That Jesus is going to go on He's going to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. People object to this and say, well, this shows that Christianity is not tolerant. It, Christianity is exclusive. Again, a careful study of all world religions will show that they all have claims that are exclusive. For example, let's go to Hinduism. Hinduism, which claims to be so tolerant, but it says if you don't believe in reincarnation, then you are excluded from the possibility of nirvana, which is the place of perfect peace. Again, what you believe matters. That is part of their exclusive claim. So if I don't embrace that teaching of Hinduism, 
according to the Hindus, I am going to be caught in a repetitive cycle of reincarnation that will descend lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. Doesn't it make sense that God, if he is God, can be as exclusive or as inclusive as God wants to be? I mean, don't you remember when we were three and four and we formed clubs just to keep people out? Before we say Christianity is exclusive, let's remember that Bible verse that most people know, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Does that sound like an exclusive God to you? Because there is no other God in the history of world religions that says, I will sacrifice my son. There's no other God that says, I will give so that people can have access to me. Only our Heavenly Father. What a difference it makes to have a giving and sacrificing God. Now, the next thing Jesus says, if you know me, you know my Father. Just in case we missed it, just in case we missed the significance of Jesus saying I am, he drives home the point. He says, if you know me, you know my heavenly Father. It's important to remember knowing Jesus is not just head knowledge, it is experiential knowledge. You can debate intellectually the existence of God but the debate is not settled until you experience him. Now, I believe in God because I have experienced him. I've experienced the presence of God in this room while we have sung songs. I have experienced the presence of God. Wednesday, did you see the sunset? How beautiful it was, the reds and the blues, and I just was in awe of what an incredible God we have. And I want to tell you about something that happens to me on a fairly regular basis. I'll be up here preaching. And all of a sudden, a thought comes into my head while I'm talking. Now, I'm not that smart to have a thought come into my head while I'm talking. And it's something that I had not thought about before. And it's something that I hadn't even studied or read anywhere before. Where did that thought come from? To me, it comes from God. And I will say it out loud to you, that thought. And people sometimes come up to me and say, that was the best part of the sermon. And I look at them and say, I know. Because it didn't come from me, it came from God. And then they say, I thought all the sermons, parts of the sermon came from God. And I said, well, some more than others. See, I've experienced that, and I bet you have too where God has shown up and he has been at work in some way that you can't even explain. And if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you're not gonna experience this. You can experience hints of it, but not like this. That's why I wanna urge you today, if you're not a believer, to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I don't understand all of who you are, but if you're real, I give myself to you. 
And I ask you to help me experience your love and grace in my soul. This is a prayer that opens the gate to God. And it needs to be honest. God, I'm not even sure you're there, but I'm going to open my life. I'm going to be willing to see. I'm going to be spiritually curious. And I believe God will show up in your life and show you he's real. Now, let me give you this caution. Sometimes people take this prayer and they make it a variation. They'll say, God, I will believe you're real if you will heal somebody. God, I believe you are real if you will let me win the lottery. God, I believe you are real if if you will get me a promotion at work. I, I get all of that. But I don't usually think conditional prayers work. Because you're putting a condition on God. You've got to actually be open and say, God, whatever, however you want to show up, boy, I'd like to see it. Now, this is how Jesus finishes. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus finishes with this amazing claim. If you want to know who God is, look at me. You want to know who God is? Look at me. This is why you need to read the Gospels. Find out who Jesus really is. Let me tell you what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that Jesus tells people the kingdom of God has come. And it's a kingdom with a whole different set of values. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, do you think God would have the same values as human beings? That was one of the flaws of the old myths. If you read the ancient Greek myths, you will see that they basically gave God's superpowers, but in character, they were just like human beings. But not Jesus. Jesus said, you know, it's better to turn the other cheek than strike back. It's better to love your enemies. Hey, don't make anybody the object of lust. And if you say you hate your brother, it's going to interfere with your relationship with God. By the way, hunger and thirst after righteousness. The poor in spirit, those are the ones who will really see God. They know they they need God. And then look at the signs and the miracles that Jesus did. Does that not show that he is who he's claimed to be? And then look, if you will, at the resurrection of Jesus and you say, well, you know, a lot of that was just psychological projection. Really? Really? Do you think you could fool people for 2,000 years with a made-up story? I don't think so. So go back to that conversation that George Buttrick had with his students at Harvard. If you're not a Christian, can I just ask, who is the God that you don't believe in? I think intellectual honesty compels you to answer that question. And every follower of Jesus, do you know the real Jesus? Do you know the one revealed in the Gospels? And then, and then do you take his claims seriously? Because you see, if Jesus really is God, don't you think you ought to Take seriously what he says? And and then, then this last question. What would change in your life if you really took Jesus seriously? What would change?
Pray with me. Father, thank you for being a God we can believe in and trust. I thank you that you have revealed yourself to me and to many in this congregation. And I pray, Father, that today, anyone who is struggling to believe, they would feel a stirring in their heart. And I pray too, Father, for those Christians who, they do believe, but they're not really taking Jesus seriously, that today they would really take that next step. Father, maybe we ought to all pray like the father of that epileptic boy. Lord, I believe, so help me where I don't. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.